This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Hey everybody, it's uh, two o'clock. It's high noon somewhere. <laughs> no, it's not. Is it? Somewhere. Somewhere far away. I don't know where. Somewhere out there beneath the pale moonlight. I don't remember what happened to me last night. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff, Pam. Good stuff, bad stuff, stuff. Well, you know, that's the thing about uh, when I don't eat and I drink a lot. Not a lot, enough. Uh, I don't remember. So does it, does it matter? What embarrassing things did I do? I don't think I got up on stage uh, at the second place. I don't, I, I don't. I would remember climbing up those stairs or jumping on that stage, but I don't. Um, mm-hmm, well... Well, it's just I, I just I, I don't eat I don't eat enough. That's the that was the problem. I had access to food. I just chose not to eat it. I actually brought the bag of food home, and it's in my refrigerator. All the cheese and yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You didn't eat enough. Yeah. Well, I uh, Pam. I made, oh, and I'm figuring, I, I, I got here at noon uh, to play some stuff. And I did get a lot of stuff done. I still, I made a, a bunch of new event brights. And, uh, the festival's coming, the festival's coming. It's going to be fine. So what's going on in the news? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm submerged in a barrel of IPAs. Free ice cream days. Nope, not that I know of, not that I remember. I don't think so. I don't. I'm not hungover. So, just, yeah, just kind of slow. But hey, makes good radio, I guess. I don't know. I'm slow. Is it, is that why the weather is weird here today? Is it, is it fires? Yeah, a little hazy. A little hazy IPA. That's, that's what I, that's what I drink. Uh, well, no, it was Racer Five at at OMG to start, and then, um, and then I transitioned to something there. We'll find out when I get my card back. <laughs> oh man. feels weird. Fires are coming. Fires are coming. Oh, fires. Oh, my God. Wait, so we pulled out of Afghanistan, right? Did, is that what, did we? Okay.
supposedly he was trying to trump or trump pull the troops out. Then Biden uh, comes along and says we hope to have, and that was released this spring, hope to have the majority of the troops uh, out by September 11th. Well, if you guys don't remember history quite well, because I know I do, in the early 2000s, this unjust war that we are still going through and had, and basically the Taliban took over. The whole reason why I'm speaking to All right. Is, oh, that I think that does sound better. Yeah, I should have said. It. But um, so basically, uh, Bush Jr. got us into the 20-year war with Afghanistan. Remember, mission accomplished. Blah blah blah. 2003. No blood for oil. So, and we we're supposed to be fighting the Taliban. Well. Did you know that the only senator that, or the only uh, rep House of Representative who's still in the House, uh, Barbara Lee, was the only one, I believe, in 2002 that refused to go to Afghanistan? Huh. So basically, now that the Taliban has taken over every, every territory, even Kabul, which puts a lot of people in danger, especially women and girls oh. because the taliban is, is is strict let's just say the taliban is what the evangelicals are you know to what this country is so basically they don't want girls to get educated mm. women can't leave without a man behind them sides just right. really barbaric you can't, you can't drive so. yeah <laughs> but the whole time that we were there for 20 years was to get the taliban out but but Biden and Trump fumbled the ball, and now this is where we're at. So now I've we have dip, uh, diplomats all across the world, like uh, especially U.S. and British and Canadian diplomats who are trying to get out. The last flight is, I believe, on uh, August 31st. What is sad is you're seeing these videos and these photos of these poor Afghanis who had help with intel for um, for the United States being left behind. Which there but puts them in danger with the Taliban, where they are already the Taliban's already killing people already. Wow. And so there's a photos of a lot of people, these Afghanis and what have you, hanging onto planes as they're in the midair and you wow. see people falling. It kinda is very reminiscent of two thousand one when you would see the little Oh, when the people jumped out yeah, of the yeah, yeah, building. Yeah. Yeah. They're, mm, and wow, it was that just, is in oh, because they want to get out of there. Yes. And so they're hanging onto planes. Yeah. Um, and so. Oh my God. The there's no intel. I'm reading right now from a, a Huffington Post. So the administration is not doing very much. Uh, they're being kind of secretive. I'm trying to let. Well, they, I mean, they must be secretive because I, the only like obviously I get my news from you and from comedians and people on stage. And I've just heard one person say, oh, yeah, we're pulling out. It was Matthew Quirk. Oh, we're pulling out of Afghanistan. And I was like, we are? Oh, we're, what were we there for anyway? I, it was... <laughs> um, supposedly, I mean, this is not the first... Uh, for, because the Taliban, we, we did not want the Taliban to take over. Because the guy who... He was... The, the, the guy who supposedly did 9-11 was Taliban, right? Uh, you, you are thinking about Osama bin Laden, so Osama who's bin Laden. I can't even remember yeah. anything anymore. Um, but Is that why we went into Afghanistan, was to find him? 
Supposedly. I think there's always a little bit more. Um, but here's a little fun history fact. And I just had to re be reminded of this. The Soviets had to pull out of Afghanistan in 1989 oh. under uh, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev uh, when he was uh, president uh, of uh, the Soviet Union. Well, was is it still the Soviet? Yeah, was. Well, yeah, was. now it's Russia. Russia, and that, excuse me, and was past else. tense. Yeah. Um, so. Because they also, I believe, they had a ten-year war between 1979. Right, and, and we were giving. Who were we giving? Who were we selling guns to back then? We, uh, were, selling, we were selling them to Afghanistan. Afghanistan, and that's to the, fight contra the Russians. And then we have the oh Contras. And see, all of this is into. Thank you for wow. reminding me of that. All of this is intertwined. It, it really is. And so we've been with. We've we've been dealing with Afghanistan for a really for long, a long time. time. I mean, past. <gasps> were I mean, they fighting us with our own guns? Wouldn't that, isn't that ironic? You know that you if know. we sold them weapons to fight the USSR in the 80s, and then we're fighting them in the 90s, in the thousands. Well, where we know we were, we were messing with Osama bin Laden, or with um, Saddam Hussein in the 90s, in Kuwait that, and all that, that stuff. And then, and now in the 2000s, if they're fighting us with the 20 year old weapons from the 80s, that's, that's fun. So this is oh. what I got today. So this the world's is, falling apart. Uh, the general, uh, no intel that Afghan government would fall in 11 days. So the Biden administration did not have intelligence showing how fast the Taliban would topple the U.S.-backed government in Afghanistan. Mark Miley, the top uh, country's top un uh, uniformed officer, said in the uh, press conference, there was nothing that I or anyone else saw that indicated a collapse of this army and this government in 11 days, Miley said. Critics of President Joe, uh, Joe Biden's strategy of, for withdraw, withdrawing U.S. forces from Afghanistan say he should have made more preparations for a Taliban takeover, particularly by evacuating Americans, vulnerable Afghanis, or, or more dealing with militants as they advanced in weeks, recent weeks. Uh, the New York Times suggests that the intelligent reports have informed U.S. officials over the summer that the collapse of the former Afghan government was becomingly increasingly likely. But Biden and his aides publicly argued that the U.S.-aligned Afghans were well-equipped and prepared to resist as American forces pulled out and abandoned huge bases. On Monday, the president said that though the Taliban captured Afghan capital Kabul sooner than he expected, hey, that's some shit, sparking chaos and hurled U.S. bid to jumpstart evacuations, he did not regret his decision. First, he didn't regret his decision? Like, I mean, can anybody admit when they make a mistake? Like, oops, we thought we had this covered, but we totally didn't. Um, we're trying real hard to get everybody out now, but oops. I mean, we're talking about human lives here, yeah. thousands. In May, a number of veterans told the Huffington Post that their views on the end of the 20-year American mission, just because the war is over, doesn't mean that any sort of Afghan Afghanistan vet is over the war. A former intelligence analyst stated. So poor Afghanistan again. America's not good with wars, period. I mean, <laughs> Vietnam, just, I don't know. Well, but we don't really, I mean, the concept of war is so different now because it used to be, I mean, I guess the last one that was 
the war that was we won it was world, world war two because we actually were like there were winners there were losers there was there was a fall of an empire there was a fall of an empire there were negotiations there was stuff nato happening. was nate i think the united nations was it night i was think that it was they were united created nations. to deal with that issue well yeah, united nations was uh started after world war ii all of the wars since then there it's almost like we're just in a constant state of war just to be in a state of war there's no winner there's you know in korea there was no winner no. there was in and then in vietnam, vietnam there was no winner and then we have the uh, desert storm desert storm there was still no who is the winner and we're in afghan oh afghan iraq, iraq. Okay. again like i just don't see we're talking within 70 years span Th there's that long and we now there's no winners of why are we at war if you can't if it's a constant and unwinnable war and then why continue spending money to destroy people instead of where i mean why do we why do we hate why do why i mean what's i don't well, i, I don't mean know what's going on thing. in the world i mean i just now want to tell jokes it, it's <laughs> i think honestly the last time war meant something and war is a terrible thing but when you you mentioned world war ii for example where it was kind of like good versus evil um, yeah in that sort of way point at it and say they're killing you know millions of people right and 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 you taking can, over countries in europe a bomb pearl harbor i mean yeah that's the last war that actually but i think that's when the war machine starts where they true. realize we can make money off this technology right, right. And, i mean we still have a lot of people have regrets about the bombs that we dropped in japan <laughs> with uh, hiroshima and nagasaki yeah it's i mean and now I'm, we're here i mean i remember protesting in the early 2000s because we, i did not want us to go to war no i yeah i, I can't imagine nuclear nuclear winter <laughs> if bombs are dropped and drones I'm hey, God. and now what if, it, what if it comes? Can they can they come here? I mean, I mean I'm not scared of. Am I scared of war? I, I guess because I'm not. I've never been in it, and I don't understand it. And I've been maybe desensitized with movies, and don't have like I'm trying to imagine right now like a helicopter coming down the street of 21st Street and just just killing people for no reason just because it's a war shit like that can happen because of technology and how it is because yeah. they do fight now with drones and that's the thing where you don't have to have yeah. people on ground anymore and, and I think it's like well, I, and now we have germ I, warfare with the virus I mean right. there's so many things I mean, we're already, we've always been at war here in this country called white supremacy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And now, here, and here's another thing. So you have these crazy white wingers, uh, like uh, Lauren Bobart, who's that crazy uh, See You Next Tuesday out of uh, Colorado, who is praising the Taliban. You have like Marjorie Taylor. Oh, yeah. It's funny. Because the they're <laughs> religious fan fan fanaticism? Or... They I'm so glad I don't pay attention to what's going it, on in the uh, world. It's everything is like the the level of cognitive dissonance I'm holding right now to like it, my tenuous tether on 
reality. It's, I don't even know. I I have no idea what's real anymore. So, I, I mean, if can't. If, <sighs> so such an isolationist. So there. Okay. So this is. I'll t uh, speak from a. Uh, Newsweek, since it's slightly credible. The Republican National Committee uh, has removed the webpage from 2020, which praised, oh, sorry, this, uh, he, uh, 2020 is when Donald Trump decided to pull out with the historic peace agreement. So the RNC pulled out that webpage because of the, <laughs> it looks like you've lost it as much as Biden, as it says. Um, they pulled out the page because they're realizing, oh shit, we fucked up. Let's not make it look like we did you, we did anything. And then Trump. So he, that was like his last executive order in 2020 was yeah. to pull out of Afghanistan. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and now Biden has to, and then all of a sudden Biden's like, oh shit. He, he didn't have to go along with it too. Cause this is Biden's administration, right? Oh. So he could have said like, we still need to make sure that the Taliban doesn't take over. So will have it's just we were, we were ill prepared so that's it started happening in 2020 and now a year and a half later just over a year and a half later i mean biden was being isolationist though and thinking about what was happening in the united states it was a giant pandemic but at the same time that gave the taliban a year and a half to beef up their forces mm -hmm. and take over the country as we were leaving so because it's like, look over here, look what's going on. Oh shit, look what's going on over here. It's just too much. It's, yeah. It's, it's, and it's a shame they can't, it, it, Biden can't say, oops, I, you here's a bunch of, here's a bunch of aid to help get these people out fast because, uh, wow, we were, I was thinking about the pandemic. He wasn't thinking about, I don't think he's thinking about the pandemic because our unemployment is about to run out. We still have a surge. Um, mm -hmm they can't i mean we don't have another stimulus coming i mean they're trying to get people vaccinated but here's another thing they're not, i don't think the democratic party is even thinking about the virus anymore the reason why their messaging is terrible their messaging is horrible meaning they're not putting themselves out there enough to make sure that people get tested and vaccinated mm. in contrast to these crazy ass white ringers like desantis who is out there pushing this agenda not to get vaccinated. What? And where it, oh yeah, there's the story. Again, I'm reading from Huffington Post, and this is the number one story. Anti-mask DeSantis hawking COVID drug as a top donor in money. So now you have Republicans who are, uh, he's uh, been criticized for efforts to ban mask mandates and vaccine passports. What? I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to like use my critical thought to put all these pieces together, but the problem is that it's not making it's not making any sense. Like, either either we did either we are in the midst of a global pandemic with this crazy thing that kept us inside for a year and a half, and either that's real, and either science is real, and the way to deal with the virus is to use this vaccine. I mean, are, are we really splitting ourselves as a country again? Oh, yeah. Are we constantly, how can we be so divided at the same time as it's holding together? And these are the people in our government that are saying, you don't have to wear a mask? Like, 
Do, do they not believe in science? No, they don't. Are they, are they, are are they the, praying it away? Is it like pray away the gay? That these are yes, those are the same the people. The same people. Those are the so same. They're like people. we're gonna pray away the COVID. And and the thing is, this is all. Jesus loves us. It's not even about Jesus. It's about it's, about it's about the 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 fact that the Trump party and the GOP and even before Trump, because remember we had the teabaggers that were fucking nuts, right, and so. Right. Now that the pot has just been boiling to the top and water's all over the place, now you have these crazy wing nut jobs who are running for office because they know that the, the Republican Party like these whack jobs. You know, like DeSantis is it's, right now trying to, with school districts that want to have a man mask date and that are trying to override uh, DeSantis in his anti-mask uh, situation, what he's trying to do is withhold their salaries. What? You can't withhold teachers and school district salaries just because, and first of all, if a local government, isn't this freedom, by the way, if a local government wants to have a mass mandate, you as a governor should at least have the low, if you believe in freedom and democracy, that is. Yeah. Give the right to you, the local government, to if they want to have a mask mandate, but they are talking about pulling money away from school districts, holding uh, teachers' salaries. Because they want to wear masks? For a mask mandate, to make sure that everyone wears a mask. Five kids in Mississippi who already have been in school are dead because there's no mask mandate. Wow. The thing is like, why are people so anti-mask? Because I we know, we know. No, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't understand. Like, I know why. I'll tell you why. Is it because we're just such Americans? No, it's because Trump made this political. And we're talking about a party that does not believe in science, climate change. Oh. These are the same, same people that still probably think that AIDS is a gay disease, for Pete's sakes. Right, you right, know, right, right. these are those throwbacks. So, how these do are we the, educate people, though, so that they they don't believe in science like i'm just so confused there's a propaganda machine on the internet you have your fox news your oan your newsmax that's the thing this should not be politicized did, did you hear about the guy who killed his children? two children yes i did over QAnon? the QAnon, he believed that there could be certain serpents or something yeah he was he was believing whatever the QAnon stuff was which makes no, no sense. sense but then that's so that but what's happening right now in the world like I'm I'm seriously trying to put this together and I feel like the puzzle of the United States is just crumbling in front of us like I I want us to be united on the idea of what our country was founded on which is you know a we the people and genocide and slavery well you know no <laughs> not just the the theories the theories that it was based on the dream the dream Right, you know, John Locke, all the philosophers, the philosophy of how to set up a country without an aristocracy. And then we've created an aristocracy with our government. I mean, who reads anymore also? Nobody. Who has the concept for critical thought? Are, are we all, I feel like... No child left behind, remember that. Rah, that critical it's thing. all, criti critical thinking is gone and it's all, everything's happening so now and so fast. and. Everybody's memories are so short, but then also long for certain things. But then, but if that's the propaganda machine that keeps churning, you, I'm so like my fear level is 
starting to rise again with what's happening in our world. It's like, and that's when I, no wonder I'm drinking heavily. It's scary right now. It feels scary. Like, I feel the pandemic kind of scared me a little, but not as much like general anxiety and fear that I have right now. Like, I mean, you have a lot of people like, I mean, you mentioned the story of the QAnon father, yeah. which is terrible. And I, I mentioned this before about my friend who was into that. This is why I had to pull away from his friendship due to that that cult is dangerous. Yeah. It's dangerous. If this man is willing to kill his infant kids it, to believe, and he's not the first. It's, uh, I just put in QAnon to see what's going on. And um, there's all kinds of stuff. The FBI is investigating claims that a Colorado elections official leaked sensitive data to QAnon followers, uh, which is, they are crazy conspiracy theorists. GOP-led Colorado County Board rejects appointment of new official to supervise elections. Oh, so that was the, hmm, something's happening in Colorado. Anyways, I wanted to see what, what is QAnon, and it's the, what is QAnon, the viral pro-Trump conspiracy theory? Explaining the big tent conspiracy theory that falsely claims former President Trump is facing down a shattery cabal of Democratic pedophiles. <laughs> it just, just sounds, this is... This the, is Pizzagate. But this is so crazy because this is insane. Just that, just that statement that I read, it's, that's an insane thing. There's a shadowy cabal of Democratic pedophiles, but then was Epstein? A, was he a, was he a Democrat? He do, he donated, but he had Republican and Democratic friends. Uh, I'm just wondering why friends. are just the why would you make a conspiracy? I mean, where you, just Democrats are pedophiles? And by the way, you know we have the the, the uh, Matt Gates who is uh, reportedly, he's from Florida, the representative. You've seen right, his right, face. Right, he's uh, he's uh, being investigated investigated for sex trafficking a minor. Oh. You have Jim Jordan, who's still on the uh, in the House, who covered up a sec, uh, pedophilia of the male wrestling team when he was uh, assistant coach. So then why would they throw shade at the Democratic Party for pedophilia? It's all. Game. By now, you've probably heard of QAnon, the internet conspiracy theory that has taken hold of many on the American right. But you might still have questions about what exactly is going on. I do. I have yeah. questions. <laughs> QAnon was once a fringe phenomenon, the kind most people could safely ignore, but recently it's gone mainstream. In 2020, QAnon supporters flooded social media with false information about COVID-19, the Black Lives Matter protests, and the presidential election and recruited legions of new believers to their ranks. A December poll by NPR found, and Ipsos found that 17% of Americans believed that the core falsehood of QAnon, that a group of Satan-worshipping elites who run a sex child ring are trying to control our politics and media, was true. 17% of Americans, holy fucking Christ. Sounds larger than Jamestown. 17 we have millions. We have 
three, but we have three, 30, 330 million people in the, in the United States right now. Is that, yeah. is that, is that accurate? Am I making that number up? How 333 million? Can I divide that by seven, 17? It's, uh, yes, seven, 17%. So, so 17% divided by 330 million? No, yeah, three, 330 million. 330 million. 17%. 17%. So it's almost 20%. So it would be like 50 million people. Jesus More Christ. than 50 million people. That's just a rough estimate. How can 50 million people, Americans, believe that a group of Satan-worshipping elites run a sex child ring and they're trying to control politics and media? Okay. QAnon has also seeped into the offline world. Followers of the movement participated in the deadly Capitol riot in January and other QAnon believers have been charged with violent crimes including kidnappings, assassination plots and a 2019 murder of a mafia boss in New York a terrorism bulletin issued by the Department of Homeland Security in late January warned of increasing violence from domestic extremist groups including conspiracy theory communities like QAnon QAnon has also made inroads in Republican politics. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, a first-term congresswoman from Georgia, has become the most prominent QAnon-affiliated lawmaker in the country. Ms. Greene, who posted in support of QAnon on social media, said she regrets her posts, but continues to promote many QAnon-supported conspiracy theories. Elected Republicans at the state and local levels have also expressed support for QAnon. QAnon is an incredibly convoluted theory, and you could fill an entire book explaining its various tributaries and sub-theories, but here are some basic things you should know. QAnon is the umbrella term for a set of internet conspiracy theories that allege falsely that the world is run by a cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles. I feel like this is a joke that I'm reading. I honestly feel like this is hilarious, but it's, it's real. These people think they're God's children, and they're just as evil, but yeah, sorry. QAnon followers believe that this cabal includes top Democrats like President Joe Biden, uh, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, George Soros, as well as a number of entertainers and Hollywood celebrities like Oprah Winfrey, Tom Hanks, and Ellen DeGeneres, and religious figures including Pope Francis and the Dalai Lama. Many of them also believe that in addition to molesting children, members of this group kill and eat their victims to extract a life-extending chemical called adrenochrome. Okay, so adrenochrome I know from, which I thought is made up, but it's from the Hunter S. Thompson book, and they talk about taking adrenochrome, and it's um, on your pituitary gland or something, but that's really interesting, to ex extract a life-extending chemical called adrenochrome. According to QAnon lore, former President Donald J. Trump was recruited by top military generals to run for president in 2016 to break up this criminal conspiracy and bring its members to justice. Many of these cabal members will soon be arrested, the theory goes, and will be imprisoned at Guantanamo Bay, while others will face military tribunals and be executed. Is that all? Not by a long shot. Since it began, QAnon has incorporated elements of many other conspiracy theory communities, including claims about the assassination of John F. Kennedy, the existence of UFOs, the 9-11 truther movement. QAnon Anonymous, a podcast about QAnon movement, calls QAnon a big tent conspiracy theory because it is constantly evolving and adding new features and claims. But the existence of a global pedophile cabal is the core tenet of QAnon and one that most, of, if not all, of its followers believe. Since the 2020 election, QAnon 
has also become a stronghold of support for the false theory that the election was stolen from Mr. Trump. Some QAnon believers maintain that he is still the lawful president, although many have reluctantly accepted the reality that he is not. How did this all start? In October 2017, a post appeared on 4chan, the notoriously toxic message board, from an anonymous account calling itself Q Clearance Patriot. This poster, who became simply known as Q, claimed to be a high-ranking government insider with access to classified information about Trump's war against the global cabal. Q predicted that this war would soon culminate in the storm, an appointed time where Mr. Trump would finally unmask the cabal, punish its members for their crimes, and restore America to greatness. Why is it called the storm? It's in reference to a cryptic remark Mr. Trump made during an October 2017 photo op Posing alongside military generals, Mr. Trump said, You guys know what this represents? Maybe it's the calm before the storm. QAnon believers pointed to this moment as proof that Mr. Trump was sending coded messages about his plans to break up the global cabal. Remember, of Satan worshiping pedophiles that eat babies for life-extending properties. And they're the elite. They're elite. They have enough money to kill babies. Why not just use um, stem cells from, like, abortions you if know, you want to get adrenochrome? Republicans don't like stem cell research, remember? Right, so they'd rather <laughs> spread and continue. I kind of feel like a dick even reading about it because it's, like, giving it any validity at all. This is this seriously seems like something made. I, I mean, I know I'm it's, late to the party, but... Um, this is a real this is a real thing people 50 million people are running around and and a lot of these people are anti-vaxxers and you know to believe oh. the virus it, they're like QAnon it's like pulling all the crazies into this whole conspiracy theory mm. how many people believe in QAnon it's hard to say because there's no official membership directory but members numbers the number is not small and is probably in the millions before Facebook moved to block QAnon content, some popular QAnon groups on the platform had hundreds of thousands of members. And NBC News reported last year in an internal Facebook study that found thousands of QAnon pages and groups operating on the social network with millions of members between them. Twitter removed more than 70,000 QAnon-affiliated accounts Jesus. after the Capitol riot. And some YouTube videos explaining the tenets of QAnon garnered millions of views before they were taken down last year. And that's just the content that is explicitly pro-QAnon. There are likely millions more people who believe in QAnon-related conspiracy theories like the Save the Children movement that erupted in 2020 after QAnon believers hijacked a hashtag campaign for a legitimate anti-trafficking organization and turned it into a recruiting drive that introduced millions of people to QAnon theories. Who believes in QAnon? I remember that. Who believes in QAnon? It's a more diverse group than you can imagine. The earliest adherents were mainly far-right Trump supporters, but in 2020, the movement expanded to reach, to include health-conscious yoga moms, anti-lockdown libertarians, and evangelical Christians. Unlike the stereotype of extremist movements, QAnon doesn't appear to be primarily dominated by young men or people experiencing economic pain. There are Harvard graduates and Wall Street executives who believe in it, as well as people with less elite pedigrees. QAnon has also developed an international presence and has been embraced by conspiracy theorists and far-right extremists in countries including the United Kingdom, Germany, and Japan. Wow. It's a worldwide thing. It's scary. 
Like you've been actually, I was reading they've been having some clashes um, in the UK. The crazy QAnon conspiracy nuts have been out on the streets, anti-maskers going around uh, harassing and basically brawling with folks <sighs> who don't believe. I mean, I'm I'm this shit. completely like in a state of disbelief. I mean, I know, I know what's, I know the world is real, and I know that I, I'm slow today because I was drinking excessively last night. But this doesn't, this just doesn't seem like it. Just doesn't seem real to me. And what's funny millions is millions of people believe the people that they think that are on their sides, especially a lot of the GOP. I think this is, I think this is people projecting. I honestly think it's people projecting. You know why? It's because a lot of these people do have money. The elites, you mentioned Jeffrey Epstein. They don't mention him in QAnon. Yeah, that where, where's, I mean, we know that he was they, legitimately trafficking children. He got in trouble for it, and yet all of that just sort of disappeared. Here's that story. California dad killed his kids over QAnon serpent DNA conspiracy theories, feds claim. Authorities say Matthew Taylor Coleman confessed to murdering his two young children in Mexico and told investigators he thought they would grow into monsters. California surfing school owner who was charged with killing his two children in Mexico is a follower of QAnon and Illuminati conspiracy theories who thought the children were going to grow into monsters so he had to kill them, federal officials alleged. Matthew Taylor Coleman, 40, was charged Wednesday with foreign murder of U.S. nationals in connection with the death of his two-year-old son and his 10-month-old daughter, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Central District of California. Authorities say Coleman confessed to the killings and told the FBI that he used a spear-fishing gun to oh, stab them. He's a good-looking guy. Yeah. He doesn't look like a nut job. They're going to have fun with him in prison. I mean... It's a spear-fishing gun. This, it, this is, Do you know how brutal th that's that is? That's so brutal. It's so brutal. These are young kids. Just there was, yeah, babies. it's, and where the, where's the mom? A criminal complaint alleges that he told FBI that he killed his children because he believed they, quote, were going to grow into monsters, unquote. And cons that conspiracy theories led him to believe his wife had passed down her, quote, serpent DNA to the children. Coleman's wife, identified only by her initials, contacted Santa Barbara police after her husband had taken the kids out on Saturday but didn't tell her where they were going the complaint said she grew concerned after he failed to respond to her messages and knowing that her husband didn't have a car seat with him called the police oh so they were still married right it doesn't seem like they I were didn't I, they didn't say I mean his wife so they must not a missing person report was filed Sunday and officers asked her to use Apple Find My iPhone feature to see whether she could find Coleman, the complaint said. The program showed Coleman's last known location in Rosarito, Mexico. Police alerted the FBI to the investigation as it became a case of sp suspected parental kidnapping. Coleman was detained Monday after an inspection by Border Patrol agents of, of his van upon his re-entry to the U.S. where agents didn't see his children and found blood in the vehicle, authorities said. Oh my God. The complaint alleges that Coleman confessed to the killings upon being interviewed Monday and gave the authorities the location of the murder weapon and the discarded bloody clothing. He also identified two bodies recovered by Mexican authorities as those of his children. A judge ordered that Coleman be held without bond Wednesday and scheduled his arraignment for August 31st. 
According to the complaint, Coleman said he knew what he did was wrong, but that, quote, it was the only course of action that would save the world, unquote. Quote, serpent DNA, unquote, is a like is likely to be a reference to the lizard people conspiracy theory which falsely purports that reptilian aliens secretly run the world and have taken over important positions in government banking and hollywood the complaint said coleman told authorities that he had learned about serpent dna through QAnon and illuminati conspiracy theories even though the lizard people conspiracy theory predates both by several decades. Mm -hmm. The believers in each conspiracy theory have melded together over the last several years because of the conspiracy theory influencers and algorithms on social media frequently lump the theories together. QAnon is a more recent conspiracy theory premised on the belief that a similar uh, global cabal of the top U.S. government is secretly murdering and eating children and that Donald Trump was quietly working to defeat them during his time in office. Anthony Quinn Warner, who bombed his own RV outside an AT&T building in Nashville, Tennessee on Christmas Day, claimed the lizard people were taking over Hollywood and the U.S. government. Warner died and three other people were injured. So people are acting on this shit. Yeah, I remember that bombing too. The one that was crazy because that was in downtown Nashville. Yeah, like that's what I'm saying. It's going to get out of. It's going to get even more out of control. What's funny is when I talk about my friend. I you remember have a QAnon person. Yeah. I remember you had to divorce ties on Facebook. Yeah, well, I didn't realize. I, I'm putting everything together as you're reading this. Ten years ago, when we lived together. He would show me this shit online, such as like the lizard people. Sure, sure. And I remember he would show me like photos of like, like people, yeah, morphing in mm -hmm. to in. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, because I have a do I do have a little conspiracy theorist side. Not like this though. Do I think there's a special kind of Illuminati? I kinda do. But not to the point of lizard people eating and the serp no, I don't. Yeah. But I've, I'm putting all this together. I, now I get why he's so caught up in to QAnon now. It starts with those little things because Illuminati and Lizard people, like they said, that shit ain't new. Yeah, like QAnon's Capital Rioters, the Nashville Bombers Lizard People theory is deadly serious. People, <laughs> the deadly capital siege was fueled by far out conspiracy theorists such as Ashley Babbitt, a QAnon supporter, fatally shot by police as she tried to breach the barricaded doorway. Meanwhile, the federal investigators are still looking into the belief system of Anthony Quinn Warner, who made statements about conspiracy of lizard people taking over the planet before the explosion that damaged 41 buildings and injured three people in Nashville, Tennessee on Christmas Day. Many are scratching their heads. Why are people embracing such bizarre ideas? The notion of shape-shifting, blood-sucking reptilian humanoids invading Earth to control the human race sounds like a cheesy sci-fi plot. V. You but remember it, that 1980s show, oh yeah, v? v? Yeah, yeah. It, well, it does. It sounds like this is insane. But actually, it's a very old trope with very disturbing links to anti-immigrant and anti-Semitic hostilities yes, during the 19th century. Bonkers? Sure. Harmless? Definitely not. Law enforcement sources say Warner's writings indicate his interest in a number of conspiracy theories, including the Lizard People takeover. He may have even had a pastime of hunting such aliens in the park. 
Before the blast, Warner sent packages to friends filled with material expounding on his bizarre worldview. They included a letter that began, Hey dude, you will never believe what I found in the park. The world ruled by lizard people fantasy shot to prominence in the recent years in part of the ramblings of David Icke, a popular British sports reporter turned conspiracy theorist known for his eccentric ideas. Icke would have you believe that a race of reptilian beings not only invaded Earth, but also created a genetically modified lizard-human hybrid race called the Babylonian Brotherhood, which he maintains is busy plotting worldwide fascist state. This sinister cabal of global reptilian elites boasts a membership list including former President Barack Obama, Queen Elizabeth II of Great Britain, former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan, and Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger's on there? I guess he's a. I mean, that makes sense. He kind of seems reptilian shapeshifter. I get, yeah, where's, I get. Bender, when, where's Bender? Where's ben, Bender? Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch. He should be on that list. He looks like a <laughs> snapping turtle. <laughs> this nonsense is espoused by a variety of internet conspiracy mongers, including far-right Trump-loving QAnon adherents. One of whom was accused in 2019 of murdering his own brother because he thought he was a lizard. As many as 12 million Americans believe in this lizard conspiracy theory. In a 2013 public polling survey. It's safe to assume the number is higher today. The outlandish trope has roots in the second half of the 19th century when the Industrial Revolution, Darwin's theory of evolution and rapid scientific advances, upended time-honored traditions of ways, leaving people unsettled and unsure what to believe. It emerged more strongly toward the end of the century when anxieties about perceived outsiders, especially Jewish ones, were fueled by waves of immigrants er flooding urban centers in Great Britain and the United States in search of economic prosperity and religious freedom. The tide of immigrants ignited cultural conflicts as well as health and sanitation crises in cities that lacked adequate infrastructure for the millions of arrivals. Amid this tumult, a colorful array of gurus and charismatic figures arrived on the scene, claiming a secret knowledge of world affairs and answers to burning questions. The writings of the Russian-born mystic Helen Blatsvasky, the founder of Theosophy, bristled cosmic energies and mysterious knowledge, including her claim of an ancient race of dragon men from a lost continent, mentioned in her esoteric 1888 tome, The Secret Doctrine. Blavatsky's florid imagination influenced a slew of artists and writers, including, as political scientist Michael Barkham notes, one Robert E. Howard, his Widely popular Conan the Barbarian stories in the early 20th centuries feature reptilian humanoids Chance, yeah. who deploy their shape-shifting and mind-controlled talents to dominate humanity. James Earl Jones shape-shifted to a snake. Mm. You remember? Bram Stoker's Dracula in the 1897 tale of Romanian vampire who plans to take over London using his renowned shape-shifting abilities, also carries traces of this trope. The Count possesses a number of reptilian qualities from his association with the knightly order of the dragon, from which his name derives, and his cold-blooded nature and talent for shimmying down walls lizard fashion. Dracula's protruding teeth, pointed ears, and blood-sucking habits mark him as a species apart, a motif of othering, read by critics as a code for Jewishness. From this perspective, Stoker's book is part of the British response to the increasing number of Jewish immigrants arriving from Eastern Europe. The vampire is a stealthy invader, passing as a proper citizen, but secretly plotting domination and destruction. Bloodsucking, as Stephanie Winkler observes, is a common metaphor for greed, 
a trait often linked to Anglo-Jews associated with banking and stock trading. This coupling of Jewishness and greedy blood-sucking gained momentum as wealthy British Jews, such as banker Baron Lionel de Rothschild, who was admitted to the House of Commons in 1858, gained influence in society. Eventually, paranoia that Jews, through their financial power and connections to royalty, would seize the opportunity to take over an empire facing more complex challenges helped drive mounting anti-Semitism. Does any of this sound familiar? It should, because today's internet posting by conspiracy theorists often carry traces of just the sort of anti-immigrant and anti-Semitic tensions that show up in history whenever segments of the population feel betrayed by elites and fear loss of their own social and economic status. It may not surprise you that Ike wrote a Theosophical work about the origins of Earth also endorses the infamous anti-Semitic forgery, quote, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, uh, which appeared in 1903 and was likely created by the Russian Tsar's secret police. Henry Ford, for one, helped circulate the pamphlet, which purported to reveal a secret Jewish society conspiring to control the banks, the media, and ultimately the entire Earth. Though it was quickly discredited, the Nazis used it as propaganda. Ike denies animosity towards Jewish people, but whether he is or isn't deliberately using the notion of reptilian invaders as coded anti-Semitism, it's nonetheless the case that the idea tends to circulate, as writer Mika Jart points out, among neo-Nazis, Illuminati conspiracy proponents, and various other groups that insist we are just being manipulated by sinister puppeteers who often happen to be Jewish. Billionaire George Soros is a frequent bête noire among his crowd and is often depicted as a world-dominating reptile. The lizard takeover with Jewish cabal links has unfortunately become so commonplace that it even made an appearance in Netflix's sci-fi series The Umbrella Academy now taking some heat for its alleged, uh, alleged use of anti-Semitic tropes in the form of a shadowy conspiracy society of literature people who run the world, complete with a Yiddish-speaking villain. This is crazy. I History shows. Yeah, it, I'm scared now. Yeah, right? History shows that when panic is rising, institutions seem to be failing and masses feel betrayed by wealthy elites, finding scapegoats can seem alluring. If charismatic influencers are able to channel the grievances towards secret cabals, immigrants, religious groups, eventually something terrible is likely to happen. The real problems, however, won't change. All right, that was an article by Think. Um, opinions, analysis, essays. And it was written by Lynn Stewart Paramore, cultural historian. Thanks, Lynn. Thank you, Lynn. I'm surprised I didn't mention, what's that French book, uh, Cap, uh, Cape of the Saints? Cap of the, you've I heard of that I one? I don't know that one. It's, a, it's one of the QAnon and white supremacists love this book where it talks about um, uh, where, uh, the, the you know, the fear of the newcomers right. uh, coming in. It, it kind of reminded me of, I've never read the book because the, the book is racist as fuck. It's like <laughs> Mind Cult. Is that the name? Minkoff? Minkoff, yeah. Minkoff. Um, that fucking just scared the shit out of me. And yeah. I was just thinking about, I read Bram Stoker's and then I saw the movie. And I just, I was thinking about parts of the movie and things that I read in the book. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. This shit's. But it's, it's, it's just what, it's what we do when we're afraid of 
of I mean, and when that, they're that's, afraid, when well, they're afraid, right? Because all those anti-immigrant uh, tropes that Trump supported, and that there's still people that want to blame others for their. I mean, I guess is that human nature? Is that the inability to take responsibility for our own lives? I mean. I, you know, I, that's why I guess that's why I like drinking so much is I literally am not taking responsibility for my life like I'm not gonna remember it and I totally let go and say I mean I know I'm sure I said some stupid stupid ridiculous things last night and um but I don't remember them so I don't have any regrets about it <laughs> so I'm like I mean I might ask somebody today if they stop by <laughs> I'll say so I heard I professed my undying love for you last night little embarrassing I, I'm, am I going to have to watch Bram Stoker's Dracula tonight yeah I don't know I'm just... sure uh, I just explored on Netflix I mean the thing is like I didn't I didn't think too deep into this because well I'm black and so they've always been scared of us so <laughs> I mean I mean and here's another it's true it's the fear that's why yeah so I mean I've never been on that side of they're coming I'm like what you talking about we here mm-hmm. uh, but there's also the new census came out oh and it looks like what I've talked about, what we've talked about before is coming to fruition. So shit's about to get crazier. The white population is dying off more. Really? See, now I think that- 10, 10 years ago, here, we're just talking here in the US now. Yeah. So it was at 67%, now you're at 60%. Good. Whereas the Latino population is growing. Well, and I don't think that the numbers are real because a lot of people didn't truly identify themselves during the, um, during the census facts i mean you're because there were there people were nervous about being turned into ice they did say they and did. so i think a lot of people probably weren't even documented they did say there 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 was a large number of people who did not uh go about doing the census or what have you so but that still does peg a number of the fact that the white population in this country is dying off so that also that's why i know shit's about to get really real since that census came out because I, that's where the the yeah, whole I just, I just I just got 2020 Senate census data you can just look it up oh yeah. oh go ahead read it yeah let's check it out let's see, what see what the census says the 2020 census results and actually the second thing on is it says the before I read this one it's it says 2020 census data quality haha <laughs> Um, okay, 2020 census results. Uh, 2020 census report. Here we go. August 12th. We oh look, there's a, oh, a bunch. There's, there's children outside. Yay, hey, children! Yay! Hi, children! School. Back to school. school. Get Ba-da-da-da-da. your lesson on. And they wore masks. They're all wearing masks. Good. On August 12th, we released the redistricting data to the states and to the public. States may use this data in redrawing congressional, legislative, and other local district boundaries. The Census Bureau will also deliver the finer redistricting data toolkit to all states and public by September 30th. COVID-related delays and prioritizing the delivery of these appointments. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, projecting, protecting the data. How the Census Bureau protects your data. Data releases. Tell me, tell me what's going on. Uh additional information releasing the count press kits can is there anything that can help me this is like impossible to figure out is it? 
Return to the 2020 census page. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get the actual. Let's see. I've got some press releases. I mean, okay. will that help? This, uh, say status, maybe if it's status of 2020 census. Oh my goodness. This is impossible. Here you will find news related to the, I might just tell me what, what the, how many people. Okay. Uh, let's see. I don't. Oh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Full list. Full list. Uh, okay, here I found this is from uh, bookingsedu.com. Uh, okay. Oh, well, here we go. Oh, you found something? I found there are, oh, I was really close. Okay. There are 331,449,781 people residing in the United States. Uh, population per square mile of land area. So 93.8 people per square mile. Uh, percent increase of population from 2010 to 2027.4% increase. Wow. Whoa, say that again? I'm sorry. There was a 7.4% increase of population for ten, in 10 years. That's pretty big. Uh, let's see. Uh, bu 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 oh, it's not telling me. I just want to know. Well, at least we know how many people there are. I kind of want to see, like, the breakdown of race, actually. Yeah. I'm really interested. Because I have a theory, and if we could truly have a representational government, it would be truly representational in that the breakdown of women and men would be equal so i'd like to know how many women there are and how many men there are because that's how many representatives we should have of each gender and there and actually of all genders oh, okay. i feel like I if, if we've got do <laughs> they just, break it down by gender too do people um i don't know i can find it uh oh actually i, I found the, this the okay here I found, I found this okay uh I, I just put a white people census oh that's <laughs> the good that's funny. <laughs> the f and then the first thing that came up on Bloomberg.com was white Americans counted in more ways than one in the 2020. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, here. I, the American press, I have that one. That was the one I was reading it before. Yeah. The AP News. They're credible. So census shows U.S. is diversifying white population shrinking. Um, the U.S. became more diverse uh, with more urban uh over the past decade, the non-white Hispanic, oh, sorry, uh, the non-white Hispanic population dropped for the first time on record. The Census Bureau reported Thursday as it released the tro uh, the trove of the demographic data. Well, of course it was, of course it dropped because people didn't actually register in the census because there was a huge fear mongering thing happening about about immigrants and ICE and all that stuff. Of course, that only makes sense that our president was bad mouthing. Latinos, and of course, the non-Hispanic. So here's what it said. So we got some numbers. Americans continued to migrate to the South and West at the, ex at the expense of the Midwest and the Northeast, the figure showed. The share of white population fell from 63.7 in uh, 2010 to 57.8% in 2020. Oh, shit. Y'all not even at 60% anymore. Okay. The lower, the lowest on record, driven by fallen birth rates among white women compared with Hispanic a and Asian women. The number of non-white Hispanic people shrank from 196 million in 2010 to 191 million. 
White people continue to be the most prevalent racial or ethnic group throughout that changed in that changed in California where Hispanics became the largest racial ethnic group growing from 37.6% to 39.4% over the decade while the share of white people dropped from 41% to 34.7%. California, the nation's most populous state, joined Hawaii, New Mexico, and the District of Columbia as a place where non-white Hispanic people are no longer the dominant group. Huh. Ooh, child. Uh, oh, here, okay. So now we got some numbers here. Uh, let's see. People who identify with other races uh, other than white, black, Asian, American, Indian, N Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, either alone or in combination with all or one of these ra uh, races, jumped to 49.9 million people, surpassing the black population of 46.9 million people as the nation's second lar largest racial group, according to the Census Bureau. Wow. See, okay, so this is, I truly, I truly believe that the only way that we can change the United States and we can change the government that we have is to actually have a real representational government. If you look at the the House of Representatives, if we look at every, we should look at every political house, the, the House, the Senate, all that stuff. It should be equal, representational to the number of people. So if, if it's 51% women in the United States and 49% men, I believe that 51% of all of our government jobs should be held by women. I think that things should be broken down by Ethnicity that if you have if you have a 39% african-american population, then there should be 39% african-american fucking Represents representatives in our government. There should be Pacific Islander. There should be the only way that we're gonna Become equal is to get rid of these old white guys. Why do we have all these old white guys? representing our interests and who we are as a nation, why? Who, why are we electing them? We, it really should be, we need to dismantle the whole thing and rebuild it so that people's voices are represented. I feel like trans people, all of it, because how can, how can these white men speak for the experience of all of the United States? How can they be making laws about my body? You know, it's that whole thing, like if you, you're not what? representing your people because you don't know who your people are. So I, I, and then more white women are actually having, unfortunately, they're not keeping the bloodline. And we talked about this a couple of years ago, actually, um, where there were, I, I don't remember what reference we had, but we saw that white women were not uh, giving birth as much in mm. contrast to in the past. Right. And more white women were, uh, were giving birth to biracial children which and what have you there's no problem which but that's why white men are mad but I, but you do have some of these white females like the QAnon people the yoga moms that are still out there that breed i just this, why do we keep I don't, hate and it's such why are we pushing energy. yeah we're just pushing hate you're around. going there's to so lose bigger, <laughs> there's so many bigger problems that we could solve together if there was some empathy and it's 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 that it's supremacy sweetheart that word I supreme it, well and is it that humans are want to feel they are greedy and opportunistic mm -hmm. and is is that really what it comes down to is that 
people are greedy. They want what they want, and they, ah, man. And they don't want to take responsibility for their own actions, so they blame someone else. I, that's the thing. It's like, why blame immigrants for, it's, like, they're helping us. They're the ones, I mean. But it's always been, I mean, it's always been that way. Like, if we can go, I mean, just far back into, like, the Roman Empire. Right. You know, it's just, I think that's just how, by nature, that's how humankind we are. But I think the thing is, we, we're at a age where we have technology where we can read these things and not follow right. and repeat cycles yeah. but the cycle is repeating the language is repeating yeah. everything is repeating but we have computer the thing is we have more savvy technology but we're in it i mean the, the lizard people that's crazy i mean am i going to be the one who has to retract my statement later and go like well the lizard people really were here all along lizard people seriously like like seriously the thing is like i can't even really talk about my 9-11 conspiracy in right? public anymore i know because people <laughs> think i'm crazy but the thing is that that was a real thing that really I happened still kind so of did they make up all of these conspiracies just and they call that one a conspiracy and it gets lumped in now i honestly i believe in science i believe in vaccines i believe yeah. that jet fuel cannot melt steel beams i believe that because it's science i believe in the little Puffers of the thing. I believe that that was an inside job, but I now think it was I, an inside job. I think it was an inside job. But then the thing is, I can't say that because everybody limps me. And, oh, and the lizard people and the QAnon and the eating babies. And it's like, no, I read the accounts of every single 9/11. It's still on the uh, the New York Post or Times. I can look it up again. You know, like but I read every single first-hand account from the people in the fire department and the EMTs that were on the scene, they all gave first-person accounts. I read them all. And when you read all, there was like 212 of them. They're scintillating. And when you read them, it's scary and it's awful. And we, if September 11th is coming back around. Um, Happy but day. reading all joke. of those. That's 20 years. 20 years, Jesus. But <laughs> reading all of those, I put together in my head what I thought happened because of what they thought happened. And they all heard explosions in the, in the basement, a huge rumbling explosion in the basement. Uh, and then all these other, they, they, the way that they talk about how what went down is fits well into the conspiracy. I did a deep, deep dive a couple of years ago. My, the only reason why I believe it was an inside job is no planes that day were able to fly out. The only people that were able to fly out that day was, I believe, the Saudi prince and what have you. And Bush, the connection between Bush uh, and oil and money and everything just was too, too damn close. And plus, there is a such thing as Fahrenheit 9-11 where I do believe Michael Moore was on point, where he kind of said it was kind of inside job, and he took it back to, I got to rewatch that. I need to rewatch it too. Uh, yeah, where he took it back to like the 70s and 80s and how Donald Rumsfeld is shaking hands with Saddam Hussein in 1983 huh. and all this. So that's why I think it was an inside job. Yeah. That's why. But I don't want to tell anybody. Well, it's no, public I'm now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't want to share because some conspiracy theories turn out to be true. For example, yeah. No one believed black people when we said the government dropped, dropped crack into our neighborhoods. Right, 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 right. They were like, that's crazy. That's crazy. That is a conspiracy theory. theory. Blah, 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 you guys blah, blah, blah. are nuts, blah, blah, blah. What did we find out? Yeah, that it was, uh, it was dropped The CIA yeah. dropped crack into the black community. Yeah. So that clears that conspiracy theory. Yeah. 
But now, but there are certain things when they're logical, when yeah. they're logic, when you have critical thinking, yeah. when you put sometimes the building building eight <laughs> or building seven. Why building did building seven, seven fall at, at two day like at five in the afternoon? All that stuff. I mean, I, 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 there are certain things I still believe. Do I think uh, J uh, Jeffrey Epstein killed himself? Fuck no. Yeah, I think I think, I think they had him killed because he knew too much. Right. But that's my theory. But I'm afraid if I, people are going to be giving me the side eye. Exactly. Like, especially the 9-11 thing. Where right, people, and, and you can't say anything on the Facebook anymore. The trolls will come out. But the, I, I, I honestly believe it. It just, it, also, it's out of control. Also that, the, the guy who owned who had just bought the buildings uh, took out a special terrorism. Took, a, well, he took out a special insurance policy for terrorism. They mentioned that in Fahrenheit. Yeah, like and that um, it got, that person got double because there were two buildings. Um, and also that there was asbestos um, halfway up into to redo the entire half half of the building because of the asbestos would have been you know, what? millions and millions and millions of dollars to retrofit and get that asbestos out of there. So, and that's a crazy thing too, is that the buildings exploded and all that asbestos just went into New York City. It's still there. It's just 20, went. 20, How many people got cancer from that? That's, I was just about to bring that I up. I wanna look that up. I, I just was about to bring that up because the Congress, the first responders of that, a lot of them died, not from at being there that day, but years later because of the asbestos, because they got cancer. And then it wasn't, John Stewart uh, had to actually get Congress to talk to uh, the living members in these families to make sure they have a 9-11 responders fund. And the Republican Party did not want to give them that goddamn money. That's criminal. Cancer, a lasting legacy of the September 11th attacks. This just came out uh, September 8th, 2020. September 11th, 2001 was one of the darkest days in American history as 19 years later, its impact is still being felt in many ways. The 9-11 terrorist attacks in New York City turned twin towers and surrounding buildings into a pile of rubble, spewing a mist of toxic dust that hung in lower Manhattan for months. Many of the first responders who survived the initial destruction and the workers who cleaned up the debris have since developed significant illnesses and disease, including cancer. Cancer researchers have spent years sifting through medical reports and documented health conditions to track patterns and trends in the first responders who have since been diagnosed with the disease. There is still much to learn about the exposure at ground zero and how it's contributing to cancer, how significant the risk is, and what cancers may turn up in the future, but scientists have learned some important facts that could explain why some 9-11 first responders have been diagnosed with cancer at higher rates than other Americans. More than 2,750 Americans died in and around the World Trade Center on 9-11, and more than 2,000 responders and ground zero workers have died since from illnesses many attributed to their time at the site. While stopping short of calling the cancer outbreak among 9-11 workers an epidemic, researchers at Mount Sinai's Econ School of Medicine concluded that there's evidence of increased risk for certain cancers among World Trade Center exposed responders. Mount Sinai studied 28,729 police officers and recovery workers from the 9-11 site. Firefighters were separated into different research groups, similar to some other studies, and compared to the general population, the Mount Sinai research found that 9-11 police and recovery workers were getting cancer at a 9% higher rate, at a 41% higher rate risk of leukemia, 25% higher rate risk of prostate cancer, 
and 219% higher risk of thyroid cancer. Holy jeez balls. Now, thyroid cancer, is that in somehow way connected to asbestos? Let's look up asbestos and um, that kind of, what kind of cancer was that? And thyroid cancer, 219% thyroid cancer. Let's put the dots together here, friends. Uh, you don't have to sue asbestos. Trust money is there. Asbestos thyroid cancer. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff here. Uh, does asbestos exposure cause thyroid cancer? The evidence isn't available yet. Um, Mesothemiola claims center. It's cancer from asbestos exposure. Types, symptoms, and why. Uh, yeah, look at this. Does asbestos cause thyroid cancer? Yeah. Wow. 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 Mesothemia and asbestos, asbestos-related conditions, thyroid cancer. So, asbestos, so 219% higher risk of thyroid cancer from the asbestos that they knocked the buildings down and it just went into the air. The government doesn't fucking care about us. It doesn't care about anybody. They want us all dead. Somebody else got a lot of money to destroy those buildings and people are still dying and that fucking sucks and that they're calling it a conspiracy theory and they lump it in with all this lizard nonsense maybe the lizard people are here to save us from the assholes that are making money off people dying this is that that's what it is that's what i'm saying this is all projecting whoever is creating this QAnon bullshit is the person that they're either covering for yeah. or it's all projection to me because yeah. it just seems like because when you put the puzzle together of the freak show of the QAnon followers, the cult, a lot of them, like you read, are have are Wall Street ties, wealthy, especially when we talk about the GOP. Where which party has the most money? Wow. Which GOP, the GOP? Mm -hmm. Aren't those the elites? I, I mean, the, like I your 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 Coke brothers. Who's that other? Uh, 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 oh my God, the uh, Merc Mercers, the Mercers. They have a lot. Of, I mean, these evangelical preachers. These are the people that are leading these people into the fire, and they're believing it. But and it's just. And the greatest conspiracy theory would be talking about the cancer and the asbestos yeah. in the air. Yeah. That mean, because that's yeah. not a conspiracy theory. It's that's actually real. true. That's real. 219% higher risk no of thyroid cancer. No one talks about that, though. And it's linked to asbestos. And and this is what, I mean, You do you remember when Jon Stewart would talk about this on his show? Yeah. About the first responders and the, uh, the government just... Take it, just saying thank you for your service bullshit, and he yeah. finally had to go to Congress and help them start the fund. Because they're d dying now of, I mean, I watched those clouds of smoke, and then when I learned about the, the that half of that building was filled with asbestos, and that they hadn't been retrofitted yet or changed, it's like- Polluted the whole city. Polluted the whole city. I, wow. Still, I mean, that's still in the air. If you still have shit from Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Oh yeah. Uh, well, and the ball cancer. No, even when the uh, when the Japanese um, power plant blew up. Yes. And 
there was like a 300% rise in testicular mm-hmm. cancer among Japanese fishermen That's, or something. Yeah. All the Japanese fishermen had cancer in their balls all of a sudden. And it was like, well, gee, I wonder why. Exactly. Why? Gee, a 219% increase of thyroid cancer? Gee, I wonder 250%. why. 250%. That's like for, for regular people. Yeah, if you don't, if you're not, if you don't have access to asbestos, then you aren't going to get, you know, thyroid cancer. Well, look, we're ending on a thyroid cancer, <laughs> which is, I'm sorry, people with cancer. I'm sure it sucks. I hope that I never get it or I, I hope you never get it. It runs in my family, so. I hope no one ever gets it. I know my family, they all get butt cancer. That happens in my family, which I'm not real excited about. I'm going to have to get. <laughs> I'm sorry the way you just I know, said it. I'm, I'm sorry but, the way you yeah, said it. Yeah, butt cancer. But um, I'm going to have, but don't, sh- I'm going to have to, um, when I'm, 50 i guess have put a probe up my butt to check it out see make sure that everything's all that's not a conspiracy good theory to go. either, you no guys. this is just oversharing is, i'm sorry this is just medical science science yeah it i mean all the toxins in our worlds but y'all want to worry about lizard people yeah and, and, let's worry about lizard people and and the elites and george and, and, soros yeah let's worry about the pedophile ring of baby eaters for adrenochrome is it Donald Trump a pedophile or a himophile? He'll be more of a himophile. Well, he, he's, um, he's certainly in love with his daughter. Yeah, that's incest. Uh, I guess I don't, I don't know what. Which I guess could lead to pedophile. I mean, she's older now, though. We yeah. Know. I mean, I'm, he I hung know. around a bunch of pedos. The GOP. There's a lot of pedos in the GOP then, party. But that's <laughs> why. Why would you ever want to mess with children? It's like you're gonna, you know, you're gonna fuck them up, and you're fucking with them, and they don't like it, and it's scary for them, and you know it's scary. What you like that it's scary for a child? You like to you, it that you, like control. I just I can't imagine wanting to that much feeling the name, feeling the need for that kind of like. They just. Just can't. How are you gonna hijack someone actually saving the children and sex trafficking for QAnon, which is actually for you're going the opposite, the wrong way. You know? Oh my God! You're going the wrong wrong way. way. Thank you, planes, trains, and automobiles. Well, good luck, everybody. Go the right way this week, whatever that means to you. Um, If you're not vaxxed, please go do it because the only people, not the only people, people are getting sick anyway. But if you're not vaccinated, you're gonna die. You can. I mean, it's scary. Like, why take that chance? Why take the chance? I believe in science. Um, and it, unless, I mean, the only people are like, hey, if you're pregnant, I get it. Right. I totally get it. If you've got some crazy medical issue, I get it. Or just get tested and just wear a mask. Just get tested and wear a mask. Crazy people. Fucking okay, assholes. Okay, uh, come to uh, dinner and a show at Asiento tonight. Uh, this is a big Have week. A for, this is a big week for me, uh, comedy wise. So, um, Asiento tonight, 7.30. Uh, there's a couple tickets left. Tomorrow, the bar at Dolores. Bar on Dolores at 7 o'clock. It's a great show. $4 IPAs. It's super fun. It's on the sidewalk. We have a great time. Friday's here at Mutiny Radio. Saturday noon, we've got the Edinburgh Fringe Fest at noon here on Mutiny Radio. Zooming in from Scotland. And then at 2 o'clock, Atlas cafe for comedy and at six o'clock you can see me on match game apocalypse it's a really fun show uh if you want to be a a contestant on that show 
you can win a cheese pizza delivered to your home last week or the last show I got to do it and they picked me at the end and I matched and I got him extra toppings on his cheese pizza <laughs> I was so happy we matched that actually sounds really fun yeah it's a really fun I, show I, I and it's that. via Zoom it's like the only fun Zoom show that I think exists um, other than poetry and then Next week is a crazy week for me, too. I've got, um, I'm double booked on Thursday. I'm at both Classic Cars West and then at Alameda Comedy Club at 8. But there's always Asiento every Wednesday. And then that last Sunday of the month, uh, there's Bar Dolores. So come, come, come do see, see me do some comedy people out there. Um, and check her out. Check me out. And yeah, I'm, i the problem is everything's going so well and the festival's coming along and everything's going great and I'm super excited about that and hey apply for the festival everybody it's going to be amazing I've got six venues we're contracting a seventh right now it's going to be crazy a lot of it's going to be outdoors um, it's going to be amazing and I've just I've been so excited about the festival and all this stuff that I'm doing and all of these shows that I've just been like needing to blow off steam and so that's why I, I drank too much last night um, <laughs> but it's because things are going so well and I'm so happy and I'm so excited that's she I'm, happy y'all I'm happy and I'm so excited that I that I get too drunk and I don't eat food so don't do <laughs> and she's that still thin and I'm still well it's I can't I can't imagine what's <laughs> happening in my body I'm just glad I don't have thyroid cancer. Oh, oh I didn't I have, why am I ending on cancer? Cancer's never funny, Pam. <laughs> no. okay. uh, we'll be back next week. And uh, until then, au revoir. Au revoir. Be safe. Get back. I found um, a documentary on Black Wall Street, and we're going to listen to that for the end of the AltaCast because we're learning. See yourself. You stand tall against terrifying enemies. You build masterpieces and break down barriers. You rush into the future and meet your past. For every time, at every moment, the official network of every millennium. The History Channel, where the past comes alive. Stories from the pages of time. Stories of triumph and tragedy, adventure and achievement as we go in search of history.
In the early 20th century, a black middle-class community called Greenwood thrived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, despite segregation and Jim Crow laws. Booker T. Washington declared Greenwood as a Negro Wall Street of America. But all of Greenwood's achievements and successes were destroyed during a night of murder and mayhem. It was never in the history books or anything, and yet it was the biggest riot that we've ever had in America. As we go in search of history, we'll uncover a little-known event that was one of the worst racial riots in American history, the night Tulsa burned. Nineteen twenty-one. The Greenwood section of Tulsa, Oklahoma, is the center of African-American life for the more than 11,000 black residents of the city. Within this community lie 108 black-owned businesses, two theaters, two black schools, and 15 doctor's offices. In fact, Greenwood is nationally recognized. Booker T. Washington, who came through here en route to Muskogee. When he saw uh, the glitter and glamour and the bustling businesses, he declared Greenwood as a Negro Wall Street of America. And since the Civil Rights Movement, we had updated it to the Black Wall Street of America. Barred from shopping and socializing elsewhere in Tulsa, blacks build a place of their own. Greenwood. We had everything out on Greenwood and the, and the Negro area that you needed. There were drug, sto had drug stores, grocery stores, cleaners, hotels. All of that, of course, was destroyed when the riot came. On May 31st, 1921, in what has been described as the worst race riot in American history, Greenwood is destroyed. In less than 24 hours, a white mob reduces Black Wall Street to 36 square blocks of smoldering rubble. Scores of African Americans are killed and thousands are left homeless. White Tulsans not only invaded Black Tulsa, they not only looted homes and businesses, they burned it to the ground. The entire black community, aside from a few outlying areas, was absolutely put to the torch. The devastation of this community means much more than the destruction of its buildings. The residents, the men, women, and children who struggled to create this haven will be forever scarred. Now remember the race riot and how mean people were during the race riot and the relationship between white and black at that time. And I wondered how people could be so mean because of its history, Oklahoma would seem to be one of the last places where such a terrible incident could happen. Beginning in the 1830s, Oklahoma became the home of many minority groups unwanted by the rest of America, a promised land. The lure of Oklahoma in the late 1800s, even the early 1900s, was clearly um, a better life for African Americans. There was an abundance of land. Everything was new, especially when we talk about pre-statehood. Before becoming a state, 
Oklahoma was part of America's frontier. Throughout the 18th and the 19th century, with all the settlement along the eastern seaboard, the American frontier kept pushing further and further west. And ultimately, it ran into some large, well-organized native groups, the Cherokees, the Creeks, the Seminoles, and others. Wanting the expansion and development of North America to continue unabated, the U.S. government began the forced migration of these Native American groups from the southeastern United States to the newly created Indian Territory, which included most of present-day Oklahoma. This migration took place along the infamous Trail of Tears, an arduous, often deadly journey covering thousands of miles. Accompanying the Native Americans on this journey were many African Americans, most of whom were slaves owned by the Indian tribes. The Native American peoples we were talking about came from the southeastern part of the United States, and they had had 200 years of exposure to plantation society, and many of them were plantation owners themselves, and they brought their slaves with them when they came to Oklahoma. The end of the Civil War would bring freedom to these slaves. It would also see the beginning of the end of Native American dominance in these new lands. At the end of the Civil War, because the Native American tribes were primarily supporters of the Confederacy as a form of punishment, let's say, the Indian Territory was divided into half, and so we wound up with what was famously known as the Twin Territories of Oklahoma Territory and Indian Territory. Responding to pressure from white settlers, President Benjamin Harrison opened the Oklahoma Territory to new settlement on April 22, 1889. With this proclamation, the first race was on to stake claims for homesteads on the new frontier. Within 24 hours, two million acres were claimed by 50,000 settlers. Among these settlers were blacks, searching for a place where freedom might be more than just a piece of paper. My grandfather was in the Oklahoma land run. His name was David Monroe. My grandfather moved from, from Dalton, Missouri, looking for a better life. Three covered wagons. That's why he moved in. From the beginning of Oklahoma history, modern Oklahoma history, African Americans have always been a part of it. They were cowboys, they were cattle punchers, they were farmers. Uh, they helped build the railroad, they helped build all the cities. By the end of 1890, the black population in the Oklahoma region stood at about 3,000. By 1900, the figure had grown to more than 55,000. Oklahoma was such a place of promise for some African-Americans that some even decided to try and see if they could turn Indian Territory into the nation's only, first and only, all-black state. One of these visionaries was a man named Edwin McCabe, who had been the former state auditor of Kansas. Edwin McCabe moved to Oklahoma in 1889 and founded the town of Langston. While McCabe's dream of an all-black state was not achieved, the calls to come to Oklahoma were heeded by many African-Americans. As a result, 27 all-black towns were created in Oklahoma during the years leading up to statehood. 
When Oklahoma became a state in 1907, there was great rejoicing throughout the state and through the territory, and amongst black Oklahomans as well. But very soon, the racial climate started to change. After the Constitutional Congress, after state it was approved, the first bill, the first bill segregated the state. Despite this bill by the new government, blacks remained in Oklahoma, living in both all-black towns and Oklahoma cities. One of those cities was Tulsa. Though begun in the 1830s as a Creek Indian village, Tulsa would remain a sleepy frontier town for decades. Not until 1882, with the arrival of the railroad, would whites live there in large numbers. But the event that truly spurred on the city's dynamic growth was the discovery of the Ida Glen Oil Range in 1905. Once oil was discovered, Tulsa absolutely skyrocketed. There were 1,000 people here in 1900. In 1910, there were 10,000. In 1920, there were 100,000 people here. Boosters called it the magic city because it just showed up overnight. The forest of derricks that sprang up were soon producing more than 2,000 barrels of oil per day. By the time it was admitted to the Union in 1907, Oklahoma led the nation in oil production. The wealth oil generated went mainly to the whites who owned the oil wells. But blacks also benefited as the money trickled down. As Tulsa boomed, black Tulsa boomed too. But the city, like the rest of the state, was also under Jim Crow laws, segregation laws. So while black people could work in jobs throughout town, they couldn't live anywhere in town, nor could they shop anywhere. So as a result, a number of enterprising young black entrepreneurs started to create a business district. In 1905, the Greenwood District gets its first business, a grocery store on the corner of Greenwood Avenue and Archer Street. From this humble start, Greenwood soon flourishes into the vital, exciting center of African-American life in Tulsa. By 1921, it is a place of limitless opportunities, both economic and social. At that time, Greenwood had business, business, and business. Everything was happening there. We had the Dreamland Theater, we had drugstores, we had dance halls, pool rooms, shine parlors. That's where everybody just hung out. People go down one side of Greenwood and up the other, and you, you could see the fashions and, and it, all of that. During this era, Tulsa is essentially two cities, the black north end and the white south end. And that was segregation days, you know. So we didn't go very far to the south. We just worked over there, that's about all. The, the black people couldn't get anything in Tulsa, downtown. They couldn't go to the restroom, they couldn't eat. It was entirely segregated. But far from stifling African-American economic success, 
This segregation helps Greenwood grow. I think the success based on segregation has to do with simple economic principles of supply and demand. There's a demand for, for goods. Um, one cannot purchase those goods in, in the larger context of the white community. So there's a, there's a need for black individuals to produce and to supply those goods. Despite the success blacks have in creating their own community, Tulsa is still a white-dominated society. White policemen could come into the community at any point and arrest anyone. Most of the wage earners in black Tulsa had white bosses. So black Tulsa, while it boomed and had a measure of independence, was also under the thumb of white Tulsa's political and police authorities. Many African-American communities in the United States were thriving in the 1910s and 20s. But the high level of home ownership in Greenwood made Tulsa's black district distinctive. Now, for some white people, a black person with any wealth, then as well as today, is something that they created jealousy. Race relations in Tulsa were poor in the early 1900s. Um, the KKK had a, an enormous presence in Oklahoma um, and in Tulsa particularly. This era would see the racist roots of segregation boil over into numerous armed conflicts throughout the United States. The Tulsa Race Riot of 1921 it really is set against the backdrop of a multitude of race riots in America. Uh, 1919 was known as Red Summer because literally blood was flowing in the streets. There were over 25 major race riots in 1919 uh, in America. These riots occur in Minnesota, Nebraska, Pennsylvania, and elsewhere throughout the country. The worst riot during the summer of 1919 is in Chicago, which leaves 38 people dead and 1,000 black families homeless. The important thing to remember about race riots during this period is that they are characterized by whites invading black communities. These are not black communities that are erupting. These are white uh, white citizens, sometimes aided by the police, who are en masse invading black communities, attacking black businesses, and attacking black homes. In 1921, the fires of racial intolerance spread to Tulsa. The person who serves as the spark for Tulsa's riot is Dick Rowland. A 19-year-old black man, Roland dropped out of Booker T. Washington High School so he could earn some money shining shoes in downtown Tulsa. While some kids stayed in high school and went ahead and graduated, there was also a great desire by many others to go out and make some money. And you could make money in Tulsa. Even a boot black could shine an oil man's shoes and might get a tip of a dollar or five dollars. That was incredible money in 1920, 1921. So to drop out of school was not all that unusual. He worked downtown, and during that era, the era of the right 1921, there was really only one restroom that was readily accessible to African-Americans. And it was on an upper floor of a downtown building called the Drexel Building. The elevator operator at the Drexel Building is a young white woman named Sarah Page. On the morning of May 30th, 1921, as he often did, Dick Rowland went into the Drexel building, got onto the elevator to go and use the restroom. But something happened on the elevator. I'm not exactly sure what did, but what probably happened 
is that as he stepped onto the elevator, he tripped and fell into Sarah Page. To this day, no one knows for certain what happened when those elevator doors closed. But what is known is that shortly after entering the elevator, Dick Rowland was seen running out, leaving behind a screaming Sarah Page. Tuesday, May 31st, 1921. One day after Dick Rowland allegedly assaults Sarah Page on an elevator in downtown Tulsa, the police arrest Rowland and take him to the jail on the top floor of the courthouse. The incident becomes the talk of Tulsa. As the story went around that he had touched her, hit her, knocked her to the ground, and it escalated and became more inflammatory with each telling. Ultimately, things just steamrolled, totally out of control. And, and a large player in all this was the Tulsa Tribune, one of the major papers in town. The Tulsa Tribune ran a story titled, Nab Negro for Attacking Girl in Elevator. This inflammatory article strongly implies that Dick Rowland, a black man, had raped the young white elevator operator, Sarah Page. 3.15 p.m., the newspaper hits the streets of Tulsa. Over the next 17 hours, the city will be consumed by a race riot on a scale never before seen in America. By about 4 o'clock, you start to have a crowd of whites gathering in front of the courthouse, the downtown courthouse, where Dick Rowland was held. Over the next couple of hours, that crowd grows in size from 100 to 200 to 300 to 400 people. 8.20 p.m., Tulsa's Sheriff Willard McCullough orders a group of armed whites out of the courthouse. When his instructions for the crowd to disperse are ignored, McCullough takes precautions to protect Dick Rowland. He guards uh, all of the stairways leading up to the top floor of the jail. He also uh, disconnects the uh, elevator going on and posted armed guards up to where Dick Rowland was held. 9.15 p.m. False reports that the courthouse is being stormed by the white mob reach Greenwood, where the community is gathering to discuss what action they should take. African-American men in Tulsa decided that it was time to take a stand, that lynching a 19-year-old black man for uh, an alleged assault was going too far. Immediately, a group of armed African-Americans, including World War I veterans, rushed to the courthouse and offered to help defend the jail. Assured by the sheriff that Roland would be safe, the men returned to Greenwood. The white mob, however, remains. That might have been the end of the story, but it wasn't. After seeing this initial group of blacks, whites then started to arm themselves uh, much more so than they had. 10.30 p.m. The white mob swells to about 2,000. Once again, word reaches Greenwood that a lynching is imminent. A group of armed blacks returns to the courthouse. Again, they are turned away. But as they were walking back to their cars, a white came up to a black vet and said, where are you going with that gun, nigger? And the black vet said, I'm going to use it if I have to. And the white man said, no, you ain't. A tussle started off, a shot was fired, and the race riot was on. The situation in Tulsa quickly spirals out of control. 
After those first shots were fired, at that point, the White Riders forgot about Dick Rowland entirely, and they were out to get all blacks for what they perceived as crimes against whites by blacks. During the rest of the night, small excursions by whites into the district are repelled, but the residents of Greenwood will not be able to hold them off for long. Once the sun was up and the mass invasion of Greenwood happened, whites would typically come in, they would be fighting gun battles with blacks who were defending their homes and businesses before being overwhelmed. When the riot starts, many police officers abandon their duties. They side with the white rioters, deputizing many of them and detaining as many blacks as possible. Black men were rounded up and taken to detention centers on the notion that that would be for their protection. But what that did was essentially to leave the black community defenseless. We're taking you down, boy. We're taking you down. Let's go. Anybody who was white could arrest, detain, anything to anybody who was black and get by with it. And in fact, they weren't encouraged to do so. Listen, boy. Come on. Hey, come on. I remember men taking my father to a place where they kept prisoners at 11th and Elgin, McNulty Park. Other than that, I never saw my father anymore during the race ride. I just remember my mother taking care of us. The early morning hours of June 1st, 1921 with most members of the community in detention centers. Their homes and businesses are looted and burned. I will always remember four men coming in our house with torches, and my mother saw them coming, and she put the four of we children under the bed. And from under the bed, we could see them walking to the curtains and setting fire to the curtains to set our house on fire. We start hearing shots, and my grandfather told us all to get up. And we got up, and we could see smoke and, and, and hear, hear shots, and we couldn't sleep or anything. We, we were just frightened nearly to death. The next two, three days, it was June, and school was going to be out. I was sitting up studying my lesson for an exam for the next day. And someone banged on that door, put that light out, but as soon as daylight came, oh, we looked outside. All of these people were coming down this railroad track. Didn't nobody try to take a thing. And those people were coming along with track. They just had clothes on, that's all. Didn't try to take anything. Once authorities in Tulsa realized that the city was really out of hand, a decision was made to go ahead and request the National Guard. So a telegram was sent to Governor Robertson who authorized the Adjutant General to send the National Guard into the city. 9.15 a.m. 17 hours after the mob began to gather outside the courthouse, Oklahoma City units of the National Guard arrive in Tulsa. Martial law is declared at 11.29. 
the National Guard takes control of the city and puts an end to the violence, burning, and looting. The troops also round up the remaining African Americans and take them to internment centers. The white rioters are disarmed, but for the most part are simply sent home. Greenwood lay in ruin. Confusion lingers in the wake of the riot. Estimates on the death toll are uncertain, and uncounted numbers of blacks leave Tulsa never to return. The number of dead in the riot has historically been a subject of some controversy. The best evidence suggests that upwards of 300 people died in the riot. Uh, I talked to the sexton at uh, Oaklawn Cemetery, and he said that truckloads had been brought in and they were buried in the pauper's field uh, in the southwest corner of Oaklawn. Another disputed fact is whether airplanes were used to drop bombs on Greenwood during the riot. I remember that they said an airplane was dropping kerosene on the houses from an airplane. I don't ever remember uh, the airplane. I've had so many people say that I don't see how you didn't, couldn't remember it because, but at five years old, I just didn't pay any attention to it. The evidence is strong that airplanes were used in, in, in the riot. Um, some say that, that bombs were, were dropped. Others say that nitroglycerin was, was dropped to propel the, the fires that were, that were going. What is certain in the aftermath of the riot is that Greenwood has been permanently altered. At that point, you had a city that was changed forever. Nearly 50 square blocks had been burned to the ground. Nearly a tenth of the population was held under armed guard at, uh, at internment centers. In less than 24 hours, a marauding white mob has transformed a black promised land into a smoldering wasteland. An estimated 300 dead, more than 6,000 blacks in internment centers, over 1,000 black homes and businesses decimated. When we rode through Greenwood, I said we will never, 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 ever come back here thought we would never, ever come back. There was not a building standing. After more than 17 hours of anarchy, the race riot is quelled and the flames of Tulsa are extinguished. But the scars would take much longer to heal. The riot didn't really end when the, when the martial law was declared and when the state troops came. There were reverberations that went on for many, many months, and in fact, years after that. The physical damage left in the wake of the rampaging white mob is immense, estimated at $5 million. That $5 million that successfully lost in today's dollars, it would be in the billions. The enormity of the devastation in Greenwood is staggering. This physical damage is matched by the impact of the riot on its residents. Despite not being accused of committing any crimes, most of the African Americans in Tulsa are locked up in internment centers, some held for days. Ultimately, the economy of Tulsa began to come to a grinding halt because all these black men who were doing these 
so-called menial jobs um, were, were absent. And these jobs were necessary for the economy to move forward. Faced with economic loss, white employers arranged for the release of the African-Americans from the detention centers. But to gain their freedom, African-Americans must wear specially issued tags signed by their employers. Most folks, once they were released from the internment centers, came back, got busy, and got to work again rebuilding their community. But rebuilding would not be easy in the face of the awesome destruction. After the riot, because there was so much devastation in the Greenwood community, including a lot of homes, um, a lot of the victims of the riot literally lived in tent cities. The Red Cross helps, spending at least $100,000 in its humanitarian relief efforts. There is no doubt but the American Red Cross is the true angel of mercy during the Tulsa race riot and in the months that followed. The Red Cross provided food. The Red Cross provided tents and building materials to uh, make platforms for tents. They found ways to provide medicine. They created a hospital in North Tulsa. At the same time the residents of Greenwood begin the long process of rebuilding, White Tulsa begins what will be an even longer process of coming to terms with its responsibilities for the riot. The white political and business leaders of Tulsa are embarrassed by the reality of what happened. The city establishes a reconstruction committee which issues pronouncements of shame and makes pledges to rebuild Greenwood. In point of fact, they did absolutely the opposite. And the most important event that they did, the most important action that the Reconstruction Commission did was to try and steal the land where the black community had been to use that as a industrial park or as, a, as the site of a new railroad station. To accomplish this goal, a new fire ordinance is enacted mandating all construction meet tough new requirements. The additional costs of these requirements would make rebuilding Greenwood nearly impossible for its residents. Fortunately for them, a lawyer by the name of Buck C. Franklin is among those displaced by the riot. B.C. Franklin, who's the father of noted historian Dr. John Hope Franklin of Duke University, uh, was a lawyer here in Tulsa whose offices were destroyed in the riot. B.C. Franklin and his partners literally pitched a tent and set up their practice out of that tent. Franklin had only moved to Tulsa a few months before the riot. But from his makeshift law office in a tent, Franklin and his partners mount a challenge to the validity of the fire ordinance. The Oklahoma Supreme Court strikes down the new ordinance, opening the way for the residents of Greenwood to rebuild. A week after the riot, a state grand jury is impaneled to investigate and charge those responsible for the atrocities. The upshot of that is that the grand jury issued um, a sharply worded report that essentially said black people brought this on themselves. That was the, that was the bottom line. Given the, given the era, the historical era, that is not a shocking or surprising result. Although the grand jury files charges against various people, none of the cases is tried. 
Despite all of the killing, burning, and looting that transpired during the riot, no white person will ever be sent to prison. And the incident, the alleged rape that precipitated the riot? Dick Rowland's elevator encounter with Sarah Page would also never go to trial. Sarah Page wouldn't testify against Dick Rowland, so Dick Rowland was exonerated from any charges of attempted rape or anything else that might have happened in the Drexel building. And not surprisingly, Dick Rowland left town. And as it turns out, Dick Rowland was safe. But the community was destroyed. Bolstered by the grand jury report laying the blame on African Americans, White Tulsa goes on as if nothing has happened. The African Americans of Tulsa are again segregated in Greenwood, left to rebuild on their own with no city assistance. All the time when the city is trying to steal their land, black Tulsans are busy. They're building their homes out of packing crates. They're building their homes out of any sort of lumber that they can get. But the rebuilding has to do with that spirit, the willing to succeed, the willing to reinvest. And it happened, and it became bigger and better than ever. The story of Greenwood is not that there was a riot. The story of Greenwood is that there was resilience after the riot. One of the great miracles is the rebuilding of Mount Zion Baptist Church, which had opened only three months before it was destroyed in the riot. All that is left is a $50,000 mortgage. It was very difficult to rebuild, but somehow they made a determination that the first obligation would be to pay off the old mortgage that they owed on the church. It took a few decades, but ultimately, they rebuilt the church and they paid off the mortgage. The Tulsa race riot of 1921 devastates all of Greenwood, but it does not destroy the dreams or spirit of its residents. Though there is little help from outside, the district is reborn as a dynamic African-American community for a while. Even though Greenwood rebuilt itself and really had another heyday in the 1930s and the 1940s, Deep Greenwood, the commercial district, would not last. And there are different reasons for it. One, of course, is desegregation. And uh, once black Tulsans were allowed to shop in other neighborhoods, they often did. And once that captive market was dispersed into the broader market at large, they couldn't survive. They were not economies of scale that would permit them to achieve what they had when they had, you know, a forced audience. Then in the 1960s, urban renewal efforts of the federal government contribute to the community's decline. Many of Greenwood's buildings are destroyed to make way for a new interstate highway that would run right through the middle of the district. Ironically, the government programs would inflict more permanent damage on Greenwood than the riot. For decades, the events of that night in 1921 were rarely, if ever, discussed in Tulsa. There was what I would describe as a conspiracy of silence after the riot. The leadership here didn't really want to talk about it. And this went on for years and years and years. I went all through school and never mentioned it. It was never in the history books. 
or anything, and yet it was the biggest riot that we've ever had in America. It was really a, a, a sort of a chilling period in, in Tulsa history to have such a major event, one of the most important events in the history of the city, be suppressed and something you didn't want to talk about. Indeed, it seems as though some in Tulsa even tried to physically erase reports of the riot. One such record that no longer exists is an inflammatory editorial from the Tulsa Tribune, which some say helped ignite the riot. No one can locate a copy of this, but it's an editorial that some of the riot survivors will tell you about um, that is entitled something to the effect to lynch a Negro tonight. The reason we don't have that editorial is that sometime in the 1930s, somebody very carefully cut out that one editorial out of the bound volumes of the Tulsa Tribune. So when those volumes were later microfilmed, there was no copy of it. But the story of the night Tulsa burned would not be suppressed forever. If we're going to be able to look forward towards